Good morning. morning. That was funny unless you were one of them. (laughs) How are you this morning? Wow, great and fantastic. Good to have you here, Mike. (laughs) Good job. Wow, what an exciting day. Actually, everybody, every day is an exciting day, isn't it? Some of you are not into that. That's okay. It'll get better. Glad you're here. Uh, I'm Jim Barber, a farmer from a few hills over. Uh, lots going on on the farm. Excited about all that, but uh, I'm here. I get the privilege of filling in every now and then. Pastor Matt is in Montrose today. So he's speaking there, and so uh, I get to pick up for him here, and we're excited about that. Uh, We're second week into our series on uh, rules of engagement. Rules of engagement. We're talking about conflict. What a great topic. (laughs) Conflict happens, doesn't it? Conflict comes in all sorts of shapes and sizes and definitions and, and involvements and I was thinking about that. How many have driven down 81 in the driving lane from Halstead to New Milford lately? Is there a lot of conflict? It's awful. Yeah. But there's conflict all over. It doesn't matter what it is. There's things that just are not fitting what we want or what we plan. And so there's a lot of conflict in a lot of ways. But what we're talking about here is conflict in our relationships. What's more important than relationships? It's not about potholes or weather or any other outside circumstances. Relationships is the most important thing in our lives on every level. And so it's all about relationships. As a matter of fact, it's not about what we know, it's about who we know. Isn't that true? And if we know the right person, it gets us all the way to heaven. It's about who we know. And so when we're talking about relationships, they're important, whether it's relationships uh, at work or in school or... or, uh, in church or in uh, volunteer organizations or in our marriages with our kids. How many have ever had a stress with, with either parents or kids in a, in, a, in a relationship? Ever. Ever. Some of you aren't honest. That's a message for a different day. How many have a perfect marriage? Careful now. <laughs> The bottom line is, well, we, there's conflict in relationships. If there's people, we are, we are sinful people, are we not? We are generally, apart from Christ, selfish people, and so that just brings conflict, and uh, that creates issues. So we're going to talk about that today. Uh, we appreciated uh, Matt setting us up with that last week uh, as we looked at uh, where we were at, and, and the first rule that we looked at was it's not about winning. It's not about winning. Some people are very competitive, but that doesn't work good in relationships because it's not about winning. Sometimes we win, but at what cost? Sometimes we win at the sacrifice of the relationship. How is that right? And so we're going to look at some of that as we go on from there this morning It's it's, uh, as we explore really who we are. Because how many people can we really control in this world? Just us, and that's a challenge, or at least it is for me. So let's pray, and then we'll explore that, shall we? Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for an opportunity to be here. And Lord, for each one that's here, you know exactly where we're at. You know where we've been. You know where we're headed. You know all about us. And Lord, I pray that you would, in a very personal way, meet us right where we are. Lord, that you would draw us to ourselves, that we would be able to set aside whatever would distract us, and that we would hear clearly from you today that the Spirit of God would be our teacher, 
and that we would be different leaving here than when we came, all because of you and for your glory, and it's in your name we pray, amen, amen. So as we think about this, it's uh, not about winning, we're going to move on from there. There's struggles in relationships all the time, but we're going to see where a lot of that comes from and how we get there uh, in what we're doing. If you have your Bible, turn with me to uh, James chapter 4, James chapter 4. In James chapter 4, it gives a little insight here into uh, what the issue might be. It says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Wouldn't it be a lot easier to put who there instead of what? Wouldn't that be easier? Because we can come up with a list of who's real easy. Who's the one at work that cramps everybody's grief? Who's the one at work that, that is my problem? Who is the one in the family that's always the one that's making a mess of everything? It's the who, the who. They're easy to come up with. But it doesn't say that, does it? It says what? What causes fights and quarrels among you? What does? What does? What is the question? But you know, we are all a product of, of uh, our past experiences. Families all operate differently. There are some families that they're just screamers, and that's normal for them. There are some families that they just clam up, and that's normal for them. There's some that just walk away and avoid. That's normal for them. There's some that, that stay quiet, but it's like the pot that simmers that pretty soon boils over. But we, we all have an experience of what is normal, whatever that is, good or bad, for us, and how we have grown up. But then when you bring two people into a relationship that have a different way of dealing with things that both think is normal and you put them together, is there conflict? Yeah. So we need to learn how to deal with those things. And so when we look at, at, at conflict, do you ever get into an argument? I don't, I don't like that word. Do you ever get into a conflict where about 15 minutes in you're, you're talking about something that different than what you started with? You know how that works. And they try to figure out what started it all, and it was probably something pretty insignificant, but it turns into this big thing. How does that happen? Here's what often takes place. We have this imaginary quiver on our back that we carry past hurts with us. So as soon as we get into some kind of a conflict, and typically with somebody we love, what do we do? We reach back there and grab something and zing that thing. And it might have been something from five years ago or ten years ago or five months ago or five days ago, but it was something that wasn't settled, and we zip that at them, and it hurts, and we know it's going to, and that's why we do it. So what do they do? Same thing. And that's how arguments escalate, isn't it? And that's how it gets so hurtful, and that's how it does so much harm. But we have a tendency, because of our sinfulness, because of who we are, is to harbor those things so that we can use them at some appropriate time in the future and hurt people. And isn't it true, hurt people, hurt people? But again, it's only us that we can control. You have any stresses in your family where it's uncomfortable when everybody gets together in the big picture for holiday? Everybody knows that relative that creates all the issues, all those things. Sometimes, sometimes I might be the one that's that person. Isn't that sad? Could be. 
Why? Because we are sinful people and because that's how we are. And when we create the conflict, because it comes from within, but we are so quick to blame circumstances for why I am the way I am. Did you ever do that? Well, it's because of this. I think everybody needs a cat. They're easy to blame. But isn't it true that our mindset is often that we're going to blame somebody else? It's not my fault. Whatever. I'm tired, or I'm, I'm sick, or, or I'm this, or I'm that, or you did this, or you did that, and, and it's never about us. James chapter 15, it tells us that if we're going to be in a place of God's blessing, we need to speak the truth in our heart. I think one of the greatest challenges that we have is being honest with ourselves about who we really are before holy God. That we have this tendency to give ourselves a pass and not see ourselves clearly when, in fact, somehow we see others really clear. But we need to speak the truth in our heart. We need to be honest about who we are because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Did you ever get into a conflict and all of a sudden things are coming out? It's like, where did that come from? Well, guess where that came from? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If that's what's in, it will come out. So when we think about the cause, what's next? It comes from your desires that battle within you. What causes fights and quarrels? They come from the desires that battle within you. Is every desire we have always wholesome, godly, good? Oftentimes it can be, but then it gets perverted. It gets twisted and it gets turned into something that's not. But those desires we have to deal with that comes from within us. Let's go on. The first problem to address in conflict is who? Me. Yeah, you can say you because that's me. But I can say you and that's you. So we might as well just say me. That's the problem. That's the problem. The first problem to address in conflict is me. Now, that's not a very comfortable message when, when we realize that we're the problem, but that's the reality of it. And so when we think about what creates issues that causes us problems, and we realize that what's really in our heart, that can be disturbing, can be unnerving when we realize who we really are. Why did I act that way? Why did it come out that way? What is that coming from? But the problem comes from inside of us. What's next? Here's an interesting verse as we go on to the next verse in, in James chapter 4. It says, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. Now, is there anything wrong with that? See, all of us recognize that's a problem, don't we? We have a desire. That desire is so strong that we are willing to kill for it. That's the kind of stuff that makes the news every day. We all recognize that's a problem. We don't go there. We have a desire. We better keep it under control because we aren't going to go kill for it. But what's the next verse or the next statement says? You covet, but you cannot get what you want. Now, covetousness isn't so bad, is it? You go to Exodus 20 and go to the Ten Commandments. The last one says, thou shalt not covet. Don't covet. Don't covet. What does that mean? It means that you can't desire something that you can't have that belongs to somebody else so much that you're consumed by it and driven by it that it occupies your mind and it becomes your idol and that's all you think about and that's what you want. 
So that's still a problem, but it doesn't make the news because most people don't understand what's going on. It's, an, it's a battle that goes on inside. It's in our heart. It's, it's in our mind. But it's still a problem. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So what do you do? You quarrel and fight. Isn't there a lot of destruction in our, in our relationships because we have expectations and we're selfish enough to want those expectations to be met on the level that we expect them to be met at, and that creates an issue. So when I want something, being selfish, which is a big problem for us apart from Christ, then we quarrel and we fight because the conflict is already there. It's inside of us. It just comes out. But then it says you do not have because you do not ask God. Who is the only one in this world that can meet our every need and give us peace and purpose and joy in the process? It's the Lord. There is no person anywhere that can do all of that, only God. There is no person that can meet our expectations and never disappoint, only God. He can do that. So in this context, I find it fascinating about you desire and you kill to get, you covet and you want, and you quarrel and you fight, but the big deal is what we're really looking for is the right relationship with God. He's the one that satisfies. He's the one that gives us everything that we need and will never, ever be disappointed. So in our relationships, when we run into conflict, what do we need to do? We need to, what, what do I own in this? What did I contribute to it? What do we have next? It says here, rule number two, if you keep writing these rules down, I would encourage you to put them someplace. They're pretty short. We're going to have five of them when we get done. The first one is not about winning. So rule number two, own your part. Own your part. Is there any conflict between two people that is 100% and zero? Or do we always own at least a little bit of it that contributed to it somehow? So whether it's 90-10 or 10-90, depending on which way you want to go. You know what happens? We try to make it 50-50, and that way nobody's at fault and everybody's good, and we just ignore it. Evens out. It's a wash. But it doesn't usually work that way. But we need to own our part. It's so easy to point to others and blame them for the problem. When in fact, we need to look at ourselves and own whatever part of the problem is ours. And that's where we need to speak truth in our hearts and see what really the issue is. If we don't speak the truth in our heart and don't own up to what our part is, then we're not going to get to that, that place of peace and the elimination of conflict. Do we live in a culture that's easily offended? We're offended about everything, aren't we? I mean, everybody seems to be offended about everything. Even the ones that shouldn't be offended are offended about something, so they're offended because they're not offended because those gays are offended. It just works that way. You watch the news. Do you think sometimes we hold other people at a higher account than we do ourselves? for the issues that are created. Let's go on. What if we took our offenses against others as seriously as we take their offenses against us? Is it possible that we keep two, two sets of books? That we're pretty quick to write down other people's shortcomings and their failures and their issues with us and what they said and what they did or didn't do, and we can keep track of all that, but what about us? Can we do the same thing? Do we hold ourselves to the same level of accountability? We need to own our part. 
It's about us. And you know, sometimes because my sin's different than your sin, then I see your sin differently. Is sin sin? Is it about a holy God? It is. I don't find any place in Scripture where it tells us that we, we should be happy. We spent a lot of time over the years talking to a lot of people in a lot of different situations, and oftentimes people will say, well, I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. There's nothing wrong with being happy. But then they take it to the next step and say, I deserve to be happy. No. Scripture says we ought to be holy. Holy. It's a difference between happiness and holiness. Because oftentimes when somebody's trying to justify their sin is when they say they deserve to be happy, when they really don't know what they're doing. We are called to be holy. There's a big difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is temporal. Happiness goes by the wayside. Happiness can last for a few minutes. Joy lasts for a lifetime. Happiness is about circumstances that go on around us. Joy is about a relationship that we have with God where He's the one who fixes our problem. We surrender to Him, and in Him we have joy and peace and purpose. But this struggle isn't just about us. Let's go on from there. Here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 7. This is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. You read it through, it's kind of fun when, it, when you see what it talks about, but it's so serious in the reality of it. Here's what Paul said. He said, so I find this law at work. Although I want to be good, evil is right there with me. Even though I want to, evil is right there. You ever experienced that? I know it's right, I want to do it, but then I end up not doing it because evil's right there telling me I should do something else. Let's go on to verse 22. For my inner being, in my inner being, I delight in God's law. We can give mental assent to the truth of Scripture, and we know it's right, we know it's true, we know it's, it's what we ought to do, and that's what we want to do. However, verse 23, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. There's another law. Waging war against the law of my mind. Where do we lose the battle first? In the mind. It's in a, we lose the battle first in our mind, and then we go downhill from there. So here's the Apostle Paul. If anybody could rise above and have it all together, it should be Apostle Paul, but even the best there is has the struggles, because why? We are all born sinners, and we live that way until we get saved. Amen. When we see Jesus at the foot of the cross and claim what he has for us, the power of his shed blood and the forgiveness of sin, and he changes us and the Spirit of God comes in and the Word of God comes alive, then we have a power to make a difference, but we still don't always get it right. And here's Paul saying, I know what's right, I know what I want to do, but there's another law that wars in my members that works against me and sometimes I lose the battle and we can identify with that. But that's not an excuse. Just because Paul sometimes lost a battle doesn't mean that we should be content in sometimes losing a battle. He calls us to truth and righteousness. Verse 24. So here's Paul's conclusion. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Paul came to the conclusion that he needed help. He couldn't do this. He needed help. And where did he find help? At the foot of the cross. 
and the power of Jesus Christ and the authority of the Word and the Spirit of God that helped him. He wrote much of the New Testament, but he's a man with a struggle same as we are. We were born sinners. Now we got saved. We still battle the old man, the old flesh. It's there. It's real. It will be till we step into heaven. But we can conquer that in the power of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God, and the Word of God. And if we bring that power into our relationships, then things can change. Otherwise, we can talk about how hard it is to to maintain good relationships, and we can just give you a few things to go home and try out, and we can go home and all fail. Yeah, the difference is Jesus Christ. The difference is the Spirit of God and the Word of God. That's where the power comes from, so we can rise up and have victory. What a difference. Let's go on. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. There's the answer. Praise God. That's where the real power comes from. And when we begin to realize that when we have that power in our lives, we don't need to be defensive when it comes to conflict, do we? Why? Because he's going to take care of it. Now, I can have conflict because of my own stupidity. Anybody identify with that? But if we are doing what God wants us to do and we still run into conflict, who is, whose issue is it? It's his. He'll take care of it. He'll deal with it. We need to walk in the Spirit and be surrendered and let him work out the details. And Paul says, praise God, Jesus Christ has got it. As a matter of fact, he said, it doesn't matter what to me. What happens to me? Kill me. I go to heaven. I stay here. I serve the Lord. It's a win-win. And then they didn't want to kill him. But our life is about the Lord. It's about surrender. It's about him. It's about what he wants to do in our lives. And so when it comes to our issue of the old man that we battle with, we need to own our part of whatever issue that creates and not blame others for it and let the Spirit of God work out the details. That's how we have good relationships. In two weeks, I'll be married for 42 years to this beautiful young lady sitting right here. And and I want to say that I appreciate her patience with me all these years. Because I don't always get it right. I think more often than not, the 90-10 goes in my direction. I get the 90%, 90%, she gets the 10. She does a good job, and I appreciate that, and I appreciate her patience and all that she does, but you know what? I don't know if there's a marriage anywhere that's utopia all the time. What do you think? And we need to work through those things and praise God for what he does and allows us to do that. Let's go on. Here's a good question. How might God want to use this conflict to rescue me from myself? We're in James chapter 4. James chapter 1, it says that we need to count it all joy when we run into various temptations or trials or difficulties. Consider it all joy. Wow, I'm excited. I got another problem. That's kind of a strange way to live, but the deal is that God uses those obstacles and those difficulties to purify us, to get rid of those things in our lives. 
Several times in Scripture, it talks about being purified by fire. It talks about taking metal and putting in a fire and turning up the heat. And when you melt the fire down, the dross comes to the top and you skim it off. And you, you heat it up more and the dross comes to the top and you skin it off. And it talks about us being purified seven times. Heat it up and skim off the Doesn't God use challenges and difficulties and conflict in life to get rid of the stuff that doesn't belong in our lives? It's not comfortable. But he uses those conflicts to teach us about ourselves. Isn't it true that conflict can work on that selfishness in us? Or that, that bitterness, bitterness in us, or that judgmental attitude that we might have, whatever it is, that conflict can shine the light of truth and righteousness into the corners of our life where God wants to clean us up and change us and to make us more like him. It's hard to say praise God for conflict, but we know that he knows what's best and he can work in our lives through that for his glory. If we're willing to handle conflict biblically, then God gets the glory, and we become more like Christ. Let's go on. Here's an interesting quote from Mike Todd. Marriage is not a hideout from singleness, but a haven for wholeness. Think about that. Do you ever enter into a relationship that you're just all excited about how it was going to fix every problem you have? I don't know of anybody that entered into marriage looking forward to marriage planning on being miserable. <laughs> Works out that way sometimes. But to enter into another relationship or another relationship, it's, that's not the fix. The fix is the Spirit of God doing a work in our heart, so we're a whole person in Christ. And then people, God brings people together for those relationships that he designs. And in that, then there is incredible peace and joy doing it God's way for his glory. I think oftentimes a lot of our conflict comes from looking and having expectations that aren't going to be fulfilled as we anticipate and then we're disappointed. Let's go on. Questions understand your conflict. So let's evaluate. Let's, let's just say perhaps we might run into a conflict sometime in the future. What are we going to do? We need to be able to evaluate it and see where we're at. Number one, we need to observe what happened. We need to, we need to make an assessment, an objective assessment, as best we can as to what the situation was and see what happened. Number two. How was our response? Did we respond in the appropriate way? If the answer is no, then we need to evaluate that and see how we might make a plan to operate differently next time in a similar situation. Number three, what were we thinking? We already established that that's where we get in trouble first. But our thoughts, what were you thinking in that conflict, in that situation, what were you thinking? Was our thinking wrong? Is that what got us off the rails? Is our wrong thinking what created the wrong response? We need to be able to take inventory of that. Number four, what was our motive? What did we really want? And sometimes we have to dig a little deeper for that because we need to know what our motive really 
was. Why did, I, why did I respond? Maybe I surprised myself in the way I responded, but what was the underlying problem? What was the, what was the real motive there that created the issue or contributed to the conflict? We need, need to be able to take a look at that. Number five, hindsight. Hindsight's always good, isn't it? So here's the question, what should we have done? So I think that we can apply this to every conflict that we run into, and we can look through that, see what happened, how did I respond, what was I thinking, what was my motive, and I can evaluate where I went off the rails. And if we do that, we might figure out that there's a, a pattern there of my weakness where that's where I go off the rail, then I can make a plan ahead of time. So in that situation, here's what I'm going to do. And probably that's going to involve surrendering to the Lord and let Him control my thoughts as He sorts out my motives so I respond in the right way and don't tear up a relationship. But as a matter of fact, contribute it to it in a godly way. So I'd encourage you to think those things through and apply them and see how they, they fit in the things that, that we encounter. James is a fascinating book, which is, is where we are in James chapter 4. But if you back up, we already referenced James chapter 1, where it talks about consider it all joy when we run into to challenges and temptations. But chapter 3 is all about the tongue. Chapter 3 is all about the tongue. What gets us in trouble? Would we be a lot better off if we just kept our mouth shut more? Why? Because we just say things. And it's so easy to say things that are hurtful. So it talks down through there. We don't have time to do that today, but if you look down through chapter 3, it talks about controlling the tongue. And it talks about out of the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. And with the same mouth, we can worship God and, and turn around and tear somebody up. Is it possible that we can stay here, we can be here this morning and in a minute we're going to stand and we're going to sing and we're going to worship God and in a matter of minutes we can go out in the car and tear up somebody we love with the same tongue? Is that possible? Maybe it happened on the way in. That can happen. What does it say? Ought not so to be. So what's in the heart comes out. The thing that we need to address is us inside, take ownership of our contributions to conflict and be different because of it. We're talking about how to have peace and the pursuit of peace. When you get to the end of chapter 3, the last verse, verse 18, it says, And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace, of them that make peace. Isn't that amazing? Do we want to be sowers of peace? Ones who make peace? I think that's what God wants. And then we go into the very next verse, chapter 4, verse 1, is where we started about the wars and the conflict because of our desires. Folks, we have the opportunity to realize who we are before holy God. And invite the Lord to forgive us and to heal us and to put us together in a way that brings Him glory. And maybe there's some relationships that need to be mended and maybe we need to own our part and do what we can to fix that. Maybe there's relationships that are, are outside of our control and maybe we can't go back and revisit those, but we can still confess our part to the Lord and be healed through it and allow Him to be glorified. 
So as we work through these five things, we have three to go. I trust that this will make a difference as we look at these things in our relationships, not only with others, but ultimately our relationship with the Lord, because that's where the power comes from to affect everything else. So I would encourage you in this today, to God be the glory, surrender to Him. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, that's the starting point. That's where the power is. Meet Christ at the cross. The invitation is open for the shed blood to be applied to your account as you ask for the forgiveness of sins and know Christ as your Savior. Then peace with God translates into peace in our own lives that can make a difference in the lives of others. Amen. Isn't God awesome? He loves us so much and provides for us, and for that we are grateful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for being patient with us. Thank you for the opportunity to be your children, for the shed blood on a cross sufficient, for the sins of the whole world effective for those who will say yes and trust you as their Savior. Lord, I pray that you would work in our relationships, help us to own what we need to, not blame others, take, take responsibility ourselves, and give you the glory for what you do. Lord, thank you. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.